Welcome to the Friends of Israel Today. I'm Steve Conover. With me is our host and teacher, Chris Katolka. I'd like to encourage you right at the outset to visit our website, foiradio.org, to find out more information about the Friends of Israel Today. There you'll find our archive pages, and you can listen to six years' worth of Chris's teaching. Again, that's foiradio.org. Steve, we have a fascinating two weeks ahead of us. We've started a new series here. We're actually going to look at uh, church history, which I'm pretty excited about. I know we're the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry, but church history is so important. And really, we're going to look at specifically what it was like as the important core doctrines of our faith, the binding doctrines of our faith as as Bible-believing Christians. What did it look like as those were being developed in early church history? Well, today we actually are going to have Dr. Michael Zviegel, Department Chair and Professor of Theological Studies at Dallas Theological Seminary, to come talk about these very important issues. But first in the news, the Arab-Israeli minority, which makes up 20% of Israel's population, has been dealing with a violent crime wave driven by criminal gangs and family disputes. The murder rates in the Arab-Israeli community far exceeds its share of the population. Justice Minister Gideon Sa'ar told the Jerusalem Post the phenomenon of organized crime endangers Israel more than external threats. Steve, before we went on air here, we were talking about this is kind of a controversial statement that uh, Mr. Sa'ar is saying here. Um, because he's saying that the the crime wave that's going on is, is even more uh, significant than uh, Israel's external threats. Which, if you think about what's Israel's external threats, well, it's uh, Hezbollah, it's Hamas, it's Iran. Well, here's my take on what uh, Justice Minister Saar's statement is doing here. I personally think it's misleading. You know, Israel's external threats and internal problems are apples and oranges. An Arab-Israeli crime wave can do harm to a country from the inside, but policymakers can help find a solution. But at the same time, Arab-Israeli criminals aren't storing arsenals of missiles to launch at Tel Aviv and Jerusalem like Hamas and Hezbollah. Look, at the end of the day, it's apples and oranges. Well, I'm excited to have Dr. Michael Zviegel on the program. I wish he could be in studio with us, but he's down in Dallas, Texas. He is the department chair and professor of theological studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. He's the author of Retro Christianity, Reclaiming the Forgotten Faith. He's also the author of The Practical Primer on Theological Method, Table Manners for Discussing God, His Works, and His Ways, and another book I know he'll mention later on, Urban Legends of Church History. And and Mike, you know, I was... um, chatting with a mutual friend of ours, Hans Guger, and I was saying, I'm going to mention these books. And he goes, Chris, Retro Christianity was like years ago. You got to promote his new book. So, <laughs> but I wanted to get started because, you know, I was r- reading through the internet and there's a lot there on the internet. And as I was going through it, I came across a Lifeway research study from 2020 called the State of Theology. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what they found among evangelical Christians is that Uh, You know, in our brand of Christianity, evangelicals, we're pretty sloppy when it comes to core principles of doctrine and theology. So just listen to some of these stats and then we can talk about it. Ninety six percent of evangelical Christians say that they believe in the classic doctrine of the Trinity, 
one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet nearly two-thirds, 65% say Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. And I'm sure as somebody like yourself who teaches Trinitarianism at DTS, you probably shed a tear when you read those numbers. Three in 10 evangelicals say they uh, they uh, believe Jesus was a great teacher, but he wasn't God. And nearly half, 46%, say the Holy Spirit is a force rather than a person. So I guess my question to kind of start this conversation is that in your book, Retro Christianity, you said that even the evangelical churches, I, I, I like this, you said it was in a midlife crisis and that it's important for us to do something. We have to look in the rearview mirror as we drive forward as evangelical Christians. So in light of these stats, the LifeWay research, what's the benefit for us evangelicals today to look back at the development of doctrine and theology over the course of church history? Yeah, that's a great question, and and I think it, it is not the only thing we need to do. We need to teach uh, believers the Bible and teach them the basic uh, practices of the Christian life and spiritual formation, but one thing we need to do is retrieve some things that we have neglected and have lost. I kind of liken you know, our journey through church history at every stage. It's like a, a toddler sometimes carrying a handful of a dozen items across the room, and they're dropping two or three of them by the time they get to you. And this <laughs> seems to be what's going on, you know, especially in evangelicalism, which is, you know, as a reaction against liberal theology in the 19th century and in a right action, reaffirming the fundamentals of the faith, it is a relatively in that Form a new movement, and it kind of was growing up here in this 20th century, defending the Bible and the inerrancy of Scripture, which are all good things. But in the process, uh, we've neglected other very important doctrines and practices. And by looking back, we'll get a chance to see, oh, oh no, we <laughs> what's that thing over there that we dropped? What is that? Yeah. Pick it up and realize this is something really important. And you know, Christianity, the whole narrative of of theology, is a is a a whole that fits together perfectly. And if you drop something important, other things are going to suffer. And I think that's where we're at right now. Okay. And, and you know, I, I think kind of during this discussion, we're going to be using this term orthodoxy. And I know that for mm. in the evangelical mind, you know, that term orthodoxy can drum up, um, you know, feelings of high church, the Catholic church, the Greek Orthodox church, which I, I totally understand. My mom um, was uh, became a born-again believer, but she grew up in the Catholic Church. And, you know, quite honestly, she feels a little animosity that she didn't feel like she was preached the gospel simply growing up in the church. And I understand that there can be some animosity there or some hurt feelings. So can as we use this term orthodoxy so that we can put it in its proper place, can we give some definition to the term uh, for, for our discussion? Yeah, that's great. And yet the term can be um, used different ways. If you see it capitalized, you hear the Orthodox Church is probably talking about the Eastern Orthodox, Greek Orthodox Church, like a denomination. So what we really mean, though, is uh, that the Greek term orthodoxa means the correct opinion. And uh, for, for crucial doctrines and practices, the foundational fundamentals of the faith, uh, there are really only one way of seeing this. There's not uh, several different ways of viewing the Trinity or several different ways of viewing Jesus, those would be false doctrines or heresies. Uh, for, so for a lot of things, uh, um, there are really just one correct opinion on crucial doctrines and practices keeping in keeping with what true Christians have always believed throughout history. And so that's kind of how we understand orthodoxy. Um, what we might call, in some of our circles, we might call those the fundamentals of the faith or the core doctrines. Right or the essential truths of the Christian faith, we're, we're really talking about the same thing. Orthodox is just kind of the more technical term for those things. 
So as we talk about uh, the foundation, uh, the, the fundamentals of the faith, as you're saying that the orthodox doctrines and theology that really bind Christians together, mm-hmm. despite all of the denominations that might be out there, um, I, I, I want to ask you, you know, the, the doctrines, I think sometimes these foundational doctrines, we can almost kind of feel like they just kind of fall out of heaven, but they didn't. They were developed over time. And I know that that can sometimes you know, put a fear in, in a Christian thinking, oh, you know, man, so man had a say on these certain things. You know, what's, what's the best way to describe the development of these, these fundamentals that, that bind us together um, as, as, you know, while alleviating, I hate to do this to you, but while alleviating some of the fears that might creep into the evangelical mind that, that it was man who made these, uh, these doctrines? Yeah, and uh, I think uh, it's important to understand that when we talk about development of doctrine, maybe to be a little bit more specific, we mean uh, development within a doctrine. So the church has always held that the Father is God, and the Son is God, and the Spirit is God, and the Father's not the Son, and the Son's not the Spirit, and the Spirit's not the, that, what we call the doctrine of the Trinity. Well, you know, the, the refined language of one God and three persons, one nature, and three, this, is, this took a little time to hammer that out. But the basic um, doctrine of the Trinity, uh, the deity and humanity of Christ, and some of these things that took some time to hammer out as far as the the best way to defend and explain them, um, that's really what's developing. The the raw material, the doctrine itself, the church has always held. So we have to kind of maintain this tension of certain things that the church has always believed, as well as some of the things within that doctrine where they, through trial and error, kind of a toy with different ways of explaining it and, and maybe getting it wrong, you know, going down the wrong, a dead end alley and coming back and saying, no, that was kind of not the best way to do it. And, and so that you see this history of the development within a particular doctrine, especially things like the Trinity and the deity and humanity of Christ. So I think we need to be at, at ease that, look, there are some things that have never changed and some things that you know, we refine them and explain them better through trial and error. And we are responsible then for those developments. I want to ask you, you know, maybe there is a Christian out there who's driving along and saying, what does it matter uh, if someone believes in Jesus? You know, what does it matter if they think that he was created by God and the great? What, why do we care so much? Could you maybe define or give some explanation as to why these are so important? These like you're talking about the Trinity, uh, a real foundational element of our faith. Mm-hmm. Why are they important? Why shouldn't we just be lackadaisical about it? Yeah, for no, number one, it's the, there's the one true God, and everything else is a false God. God wants to be known as He is. He has revealed Himself through His Son by the Spirit, and we are responsible for that. And we want to know the right God. I mean, if somebody says they knew me, and then begin to describe me in all kinds of ways that are totally unrelated to me, they don't really know me. And so I, we need to be um, accurate in our understanding of who He is, but also— Everything rides on this. If Jesus isn't the God-man, his atoning sacrifice is going to be changed. The value of the death of his his death on the cross, uh, his ability to save us. If the Spirit isn't fully God, um, God isn't actually with us, living in us, transforming us. It really does affect the whole basis of the Christian life and faith. Well, we're speaking with Dr. Michael Zviegel. He's the department chair and professor of theological studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back with Dr. Zviegel and we're going to talk about, you know, were the early church fathers, were they reacting to events or were they being proactive as we talk about this idea of the foundations of our faith? Stick around. 
I hope that you've been enjoying our conversation with Dr. Michael Zviegel uh, as we've been discussing church history and even the development of doctrine. But look, we have a resource for you to help really unpack church history. And it's a resource that's very easy to read and to take in so that when you're done reading this really concise book, you'll have a good grasp on 2000 years of church history. It's called Two Millennia of Church History by Dr. Reynolds Showers. Learn everything that you need to know about church history with this book. Its illustrations and easy to read format will enable you to trace the development of each period in church history, such as the Apostolic Church, the Persecuted Church, the Reformation Church, and much more. The book also covers the change in church doctrine as you watch the spread of Orthodoxy, Romanism, and Reformation to the Great Spiritual Awakening and Liberal Theology. You'll be sure to enjoy and learn from this comprehensive church history guide. Steve, where can our listeners get their copy of Two Millennia of Church History? Yeah, to purchase Two Millennia of Church History or to learn more, you can visit our website at foiradio.org. That's foiradio.org. To get this trusted resource from the Friends of Israel, again, that's Two Millennia of Church History by Dr. Reynolds Showers, foiradio.org. Welcome back. We have uh, Dr. Michael Zviegel, who is the department chair and professor of theological studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. I really want to encourage our listeners right now, if they would just go to Amazon.com, you'll see that um, Mike has a, a actual page that you can go to to see all of his writings. And, and there are plenty of there for you to pick from. Um, if you just go to Amazon.com and you look up Dr. Michael Zviegel, uh, you'll see his author's page there. A great way to connect with his with his works. And so we're, we're talking about this idea of, of the foundations of the faith where we, we've, we've got Dr. Zviegel for, for two episodes. So when we're talking about church fathers and the development uh, or within, you know, within the development, as you're talking about, of these orthodox doctrines, these, these, these foundations of the faith, uh, were, were the early church fathers, as they were looking at these things, were they being proactive to, to form them or were they being reactionary to what was happening around them? Yeah, that's a great question, and uh, it's actually a little bit of both. So, you know, the, if if we kind of define theology uh, or thinking and, and speaking rightly about God as faith-seeking understanding, you have the, the faith once for all delivered to the saints, as, as it says in Jude. And then, so you have this basic uh, Trinitarian creation, fall, redemption narrative that centers on uh, Christ's person and work in his first and second coming. And... So you have the raw materials of this thing, and people are being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and discipled and following after Christ. But people are going to start asking questions. You know, what is this? What do we mean three three persons, one God? Isn't that tritheism or um, certain problems and apparent contradictions or things? So there's going to be this proactive element as they are looking to Scripture and trying to explain it in contemporary language uh, so people can better uh, understand the faith they believe. But at the same time, we know, and Jesus and the apostles predicted this, there are going to be false prophets and false teachers, and they're popping up and saying, no, 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 Jesus was just a man, or no, he was actually just a God, and he had no body. And so they're coming up with all of these aberrant views, and they're having to respond to those as well. So it's almost a two-front uh, kind of battle that they're fighting, um, explaining it as well as defending it in this um developed language. You know, and you could almost say this is something that we need to do in the church today as well. We need to be proactive Absolutely. to teach the truth about uh, the, the core doctrines of our faith, that we have to be proactive and do it, but we also have to be reactionary because, man, I turn the TV on 
Mike, and I'm telling you, I, sometimes I look at what's being taught on TV and I go, there are mil- there could be millions of people watching this false teaching right now. It's just so easy to get it out online or, or on television. So the church, the evangelical church, has to be both pre- pro- uh, proactive uh, and react to what they're seeing as well. Yes, and if we did that more, I think it would change some of those statistics that you started out with. I totally agree with you. You know, in your book that I I was going through recently, Retro Orthodoxy, uh, you have this creative layout here. You say that there are that there are these three different canons of of retro orthodoxy. You said the first is something that will never change. That's the the orthodox prince of uh, doctrines that we're talking about, the foundations of the faith. The second are some things that have never been the same and never will be. And the last one you call some things grow clear through trial and error. These three different canons. I love it that you call them. But I want to focus on the second one in our remaining moments here. Some things you wrote, some things have never been the same and never will be. It sounds like you're arguing that while there's unity in the foundations of our faith, in the foundational doctrines, the orthodoxy of our faith, there's still diversity as well. So how do you balance between the diversity and the orthodoxy? How do you do that? Yeah, so first of all, just learning what are those foundational doctrines of the faith. And, uh, you know, in Retro Christianity, I, I list seven of them. Um, people can number them differently, but knowing that these are the things, the Trinity, the, Trinity, the fall and depravity of humanity, the, the person work of Christ, salvation by grace through faith, inspiration of Scripture, um, redeemed humanity incorporated into the church, and then, of course, that future return of Christ and the restoration. Once you kind of hammer those up, then you realize that, look, there's a lot of room for diversity by people who hold those same doctrines as us, uh, things like different ways of doing baptism or the Lord's Supper, or organizing our churches, or understanding the order of end times events. These are things that, that, that we've never seen eye to eye on. Predestination, for instance. I mean, there are things that um, there are valid Christian perspectives within orthodoxy. That's really important for us to understand because there are ways, you know, diversity. We live in a culture today that's driving us and, you know, uh, apart from one another. But even though there's diversity within the the church, um, there are principles or uh, not principles, but doctrines that ground us and unify us as one. And that is, I think, very important when we especially in the culture that we live in today. Yeah, exactly. Well, Dr. Spiegel, it's fantastic to have you on this first episode. We got another one with you next week. Um, And so for our listeners, um, I'm excited that Dr. Spiegel will be able to come back. And we're going to chat now more about what I like to call the difference between Athens and Jerusalem. We're going to kind of drill down a little bit and and talk about, uh, you know, what was going on as the early church that was rooted and grounded in Jerusalem begins to move out and how these foundational doctrines that we're talking about are impacted uh, as more Gentiles are coming into the faith and what that looks like. So be sure to come back next week because we're going to have Dr. Zwiegel with us again. Mike, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life and ministry of Holocaust survivor Svi Kalisher. For many months, I had not seen the ultra-Orthodox from the Lubavitch movement. They tried to convince people that their late leader, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson from New York, was Messiah. I was wondering whether they had left for good, until recently when I heard a knock on my door. Several ultra-Orthodox men stood outside with one of their well-known rabbis. 
A few years earlier, this rabbi had argued with me on a crowded bus and shouted at me concerning my faith. He did not know upon whose door he had knocked and was greatly surprised when I answered. We have come to visit you, he said. With him were two young assistants whom he was instructing in how to witness to people about Rabbi Schneerson. What news do you bring? I asked. Important news, said one of the young men. They began to speak about Rabbi Schneerson, about whom many in Israel no longer want to hear. Do you believe he is the true Messiah? One asked. You have believed a lie, I replied. Nervously, the men looked at the rabbi. Did you hear what he said about our holy Messiah? Then one asked me, Why do you speak against such a holy one? You are worshipping blindness, I said, and you will become spiritually blind as your teacher has become. And how do you know you follow the truth? Because I follow the Bible. I believe only in Almighty God, as is written in the Bible. Is the Bible not holy enough for you? And do you pray from the depths of your heart or from prayer books? We pray from prayer books. How do you know how to pray without a prayer book? I pray before the Lord from my heart. I show them the important passage of Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, where it is written, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. They recite these verses many times each day, but they do not understand what they say because they read so quickly. We had a nice conversation, and I gave them a piece of cake and a cup of coffee. The hospitality surprised them. One young man remarked, We know you are against us, yet you receive us warmly as friends. Why? I believe in Almighty God, I said. With him there is no hatred, only love. Then the students wanted to know how I came to believe in Jesus. So I told them. It was a great opportunity for me to explain the true way of salvation. I opened my Bible and read to them what is written about the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament, particularly Isaiah 53. They listened, reading along with me while glancing at the rabbi, waiting to see what he would do. But he did nothing. Then he said, it would be better if we left. Why? We are reading the Bible. Is it forbidden to read the Bible? But they left telling me, we want to see you again. Please pray they return and that we can have another conversation about the Lord. We're so glad you chose to spend these 30 minutes with us for the Friends of Israel today. And it was a joy to have Dr. Michael Spiegel with us. He's our guest next week. Yeah, he's coming back. And you know what? We're going to drill down a little bit deeper into some issues in church history, specifically related to that separation that happened 
as the church moved beyond Jerusalem and asking ourselves the questions, what were the things that were left behind as more Gentiles were coming to faith and less Jewish people were? So it's going to be a great conversation again as we as we continue our discussion on church history. Our host and teacher is Chris Katolka. Today's program was produced by Tom Galeon. Our theme music was composed and performed by Jeremy Strong. Mike Kellogg read Apples of Gold. And I'm Steve Conover, executive producer. Our mailing address is FOI Radio, P.O. Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey, 08099. Again, that's FOI Radio, P.O. Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey, 08099. And one last quick reminder to visit us at foiradio.org. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide evangelical ministry proclaiming biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while bringing physical and spiritual comfort to the Jewish people.